Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, Y-E-G, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. John Herndon is a gifted, multi-talented, multi-instrumentalist, and visual artist currently based in Los Angeles, California. Well regarded for his role as a composer, drummer, and percussionist in the influential group Tortoise, Herndon has finally been tending more to his solo pursuits as a grape dope. On August 7th, 2020, Dangerbird Records released a wondrous album called Arthur King Presents a Grape Dope, Backyard Bangers, which preceded an EP, Backyard Blenders, the remixes, which came out on October 6th via a new imprint called AKP Recordings. John and I connected recently for a lovely conversation about leaving Chicago for Los Angeles, his explorations in animation and creating such work for himself and others, his history as a musician, and how he got into drumming, seeing bands like Black Flag, X, and Circle Jerks, in California's nascent punk scene, what a grape dope is and his experimentation with electronic and house music, what Tortoise is up to, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, 
and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 623rd episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented John Herndon of A Grape Dope, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, John. How's it going? Hi, Vish. It's going okay. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you very much for asking. First of all, where in the world are you? I am in Los Angeles today. Or I, Los, I guess Lo- that's where most days I am. I, I live here now. <laughs> when did you move to Los Angeles? I think a lot of us who know you and your work uh, in Tortoise and, and other projects think of you as a Chicago person. Uh, mm-hmm. How long have you been in L.A.? Eight years in or nine years in August coming up. Happy anniversary, if I might say. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, happen to know from my conversations with various friends of yours, particularly those friends of yours in the band Tortoise, there seems to be some sort of migratory thing happening. I don't know a lot about the animal, the tortoise. Does, does, does a tortoise migrate? I don't know. But a few of the people in your band seem to have headed west. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. Jeff was out here a lot. He and his partner, Leanne, had a baby, Ezra, their son, a while ago. So he was splitting his time between Chicago and L.A. for a while. And I have two kids as well, uh, but I'm split up with their mother, and she wanted to move out to Los Angeles. And because we have joint custody, asked if I would consider moving out. And I, I thought it just sounded like an interesting opportunity. So we, we decided to, to move out. We're, we're a good co-parenting team, though we're not together. We get along real well anyway. So Oh, that's, that's, so, that's good. That's lovely. Yeah, so we decided to move out here. and Yes, and then John... Uh, McIntyre moved out to Los Angeles and was only here for a little bit and then ended up moving to Nevada City, like around Grass Valley, up north of Sacramento, and was there for a little bit, but has since relocated to, I think, Gladstone, Oregon, just outside of Portland. He and his lady, Heather, bought a place out there. Yeah, I've been following some of John McIntyre's exploits on uh, Instagram. And I noticed he moved around. And when Jeff Parker was on the show uh, last year uh, talking about his record, uh, we we got into that a little bit. So it sounds to me like you moved for personal reasons. But was Chicago getting to you? Like, were you happy to take a little? Because I've, I've gotten sort of mixed signals. Like, lots of people have been leaving Chicago, it feels like to me, uh, people I associate with the city. Were you kind of happy to, to leave in any way? Like, I know it's an adventure and you've got your family stuff. But were you like, yeah. Winter, cold, I'm sick of it. <laughs> I want to go to California. Did you have any of that? You know, I, 
I'm I'm not sure. It was so long ago. I, I don't really remember. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you what. I I I do miss it. Um, yeah. It's a it's a really great city. I wish I could go back more often. But I don't know. It's yeah. it's yeah. L A is beautiful as well. So is there anything you don't like about L A compared to Chicago? Do you wish Do you wish L A had something about Chicago in it that it doesn't have in in any regard? <laughs> that is a, a huge, huge question. <laughs> I ask the big um, questions. I ask the big geographical questions on the show sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I, I've never been. I've never been to California. Like, it's weird. I've talked about this a few times. Like, I've been all over the place, really. And for some reason, I've just never been. I have kind of an anti-California thing because of Jay Leno. <laughs> I, I like Letterman, and I hated Jay Leno. And then also, I was just like, California seems pretentious. Anyone who makes fun of California, whether it was like Woody Allen in the 70s or even, you know, nowadays, it, there's something kind of strange. Everyone likes to make fun of California and Los Angeles for being a little pretentious, a little whatever. And I don't know if you had that impression visiting it as a touring artist or, I mean, obviously you liked it enough to live there. That's all I'm getting at. I think LA has a bit of a, a reputation, a connotation. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I mean, probably for good reason, but I think just like anywhere, there are a lot of pretentious folks um, <laughs> de- de- dealing with what they're dealing with. And then there are just regular folks who just want to live and yeah. try to deal with whatever. And that's anywhere. So I I try to surround myself with the people who are more sort of grounded and you know, not wrapped up in whatever glamorous life people are chasing hmm. here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well put. I will also say I've heard people praise California, praise LA. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. So it's beautiful. I, you know, I wish it was a little more walkable. You know, in Chicago, I, I didn't even own a car. I, if I, and if I had a gig, I could take a cab or an Uber or something and, and easy. Mm-hmm. It was easy. And I could walk everywhere or take the bus or take the train. Here, it's not so possible. I mean, you can do it, but it's it's definitely like you have to put a lot of work into it yeah. and, and, and allow for a lot of time to just get across the city or whatever. Um, yeah. And honestly, I wish the music scene was a little more vibrant. There's a few places, but it doesn't have the same feel as like, you know, the sort of like working improvisation musicians life that I felt like I had in Chicago and you could, you know, play weird music and play often and be poor, but whatever Um, (laughs) here, here it doesn't seem like that there's enough spaces. And I think it might have to be to do with the geographic, aspect of having to get across this city which is insane it's huge it's just never ending i don't know much about california uh, la's uh, transit system is there can you take a subway can you take a is there's nothing like is there trains yes there there are but you know there's no train near my house i would have to walk two miles to get to oh man okay all right. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. I actually uh, spoke recently to a Drag City artist by the name of Corey Hansen. I'm not sure if you're familiar. He was in the band Wand. I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, any of these things, but he was. He lives in California. And, you know, you were talking about the improv 
and jazz and sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, experimental music stuff that would happen in Chicago. Uh, and Corey was talking about the fact that there was a real attack on DIY spaces in L.A. That there's no... Every time one gets, you know, someone puts together a space that potentially, you know, would be the space for the kind of music I think you're describing, it gets shut down. The authorities are really on top of it, you know, uh, and it's really choking the music scene in some level. Has that been your experience? Is there, you talk about, there's like a an issue with getting around, but do you also feel like gentrification and these things are kind of, as, as Corey sort of suggested, choking the ability for uh, aspiring musicians and improvised musicians to get together? Have you found that? Uh, honestly, I don't know the details. It sounds like he knows more about what's going on, like logistically and yeah, uh, legally or something. But I, I don't. I think I just sort of like, oh, cool, and then saw there was nothing, and then just says, eh, shut it down. Like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just stay inside and do nothing and be depressed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a, <laughs> so. I think you you might be on the same wavelength. Like, there's something pops up, but then it gets shut down. Is basically what you're saying. I mean, I don't even know. I like there. Oh. I've 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 been to a few shows here and there at at weird spaces, but nothing much. Um, Zebulon opened up, and that was that was really a great space. But it, you know, I mean, it's just kind of one space in the city. Yeah that's doing creative programming or whatever. Um, there's more. Yeah, fair enough. And I and it sounds like it's not necessarily the music scene's fault. There might be some yeah, ma- yes, material yeah, condition sure. stuff going on. For sure. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I do want to uh, get into A Grape Dope and this, and this release uh, that is just wonderful. I love this new record of yours. Uh, or, and uh, thanks I, so much. I know there's a remix version of it as well, but I'm, I guess I'm mostly referring to Arthur King Presents A Grape Dope Backyard Bangers, which uh, is a, it's a mouthful to say all of those things, and we'll get into that in just a moment. <laughs> but um, it is. <laughs> I I do actually Sorry about that. no no don't, don't apologize. My own limitations, and as you can tell, I like to ramble and talk. So it really sh- it's right up my alley that title, uh, frankly. But my <laughs> you can say it all day, <laughs> and knowing me, I probably will. Uh, <laughs> no, my one of the things I want to get to first, though. Uh, given when we're speaking, uh, is just the last year and a bit. You are someone I think of as an active, working, touring musician. We're all under lockdown, and uh, you're obviously a very creative person as well, as evident by this record, your work in Tortoise, other projects you've been in. I guess just personally, professionally, if you will, what is the lockdown? What has this pandemic experience been like for you personally? Has it been one of complete stillness or have you been able to create and think about things? Hmm. Maybe some some of each of those at, at different points. Um, hmm. So the, the record was finished pre-pandemic and then, you know, it was supposed to, the record was supposed to come out last February, but then the release date kept getting pushed because we thought maybe there would only just be like a couple months of this or whatever. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then it kept going on. And so finally I was just like, let's just get it out. But when I was dealing with the contract with uh, Danger Bird, they suggested maybe the possibility of doing some music videos. And there was a little bit of a budget for music videos. 
And my friend Travis Millard, who is a really great illustrator, had been working on some animations for a video game that he and some friends were putting together called Freedom Finger. And it's this like giant middle finger rocket that goes around. <laughs> it's kind of like a get like a defender style, like you yeah. know, rocket that moves across the screen and deals with like whatever things you gotta blow up and get through uh, stages. Um <laughs> And he was he, It's a middle finger, did you say? <laughs> it's a, a giant middle finger. Um yeah. It's it's really amazing game. Everyone should buy it. That's I think it just came out there just came out on the on the PlayStation platform too. Uh so Oh, okay, cool. But but anyway, so he was doing all this stuff and using a tablet, a drawing tablet by this company called Wacom and it's like it's almost like an iPad. It's flat you see it it's like an extra screen and he and some other friends told me that you can there's a there's a motion graphics workspace in photoshop um and you can do like frame by frame animations in photoshop Mm -hmm. and i knew a little bit about photoshop and there was a little bit of a budget for the videos and i was like i can make i can do the videos i'll try to make some animated videos so i decided to to dig in and teach myself with Travis's help, my friend Stanya Khan helped, and my friend Selena Trepp, who is uh, married to Dan Bitney from Tortoise, is an animations professor that teaches animation at DePaul University in Chicago. So she really was the per- my go-to person and like sent me a sort of step-by-step how to get going on Photoshop animation tutorial and so I just started drawing and animation is a beast in terms of if you're especially if you're doing frame by frame just drawing each frame by hand that was my my idea and my desire was to do it like that so I just taught myself animation and made three videos for the a grape dope record that you can find on the a grape dope youtube channel um and because of those three videos um my friend bonzi from chicago asked me to make a music video for her last record so i i did that and that took 1000 hours of work <laughs> um for 3 minutes of video so you you're what you're saying though and i mean congratulations that's incredible that it sounds to me like you ostensibly developed a skill you took the downtime to develop a skill is that basically what you're saying absolutely i i you know i figured like there has to be something that happens in this time i can't just do nothing so i've been doing that and i've been actually working on my french grip on the drums which is like a sort of like timpani grip which i never really had together (laughs) so i've been trying to spend some time shedding and trying to learn how to do the french French grip grip. is uh is that between your fingers a little bit how does that work i don't know it's like you know your finger your thumb and your forefinger are the fulcrum and whereas when you're playing I don't know I think they call it the German grip or something like the back of your hand is normally facing towards the ceiling but with French grip you turn your hand so that your thumb is facing towards the ceiling and essentially it's like dribbling a basketball but you dribble oh. the, the, the stick with your fingers and you just grip it with your thumb and your forefinger oh. and you grip and you bounce it with the with your middle and then the last two fingers ring and, and pinky oh finger. okay that's fascinating I, I i tend to play drums if i play music so okay. uh, uh but okay. i'm not i never had lessons i've been playing drums for 
27 years or something crazy. Just a oh, long cool. time in bands and oh, stuff cool. like that. But I just sort of make yeah. it up. And I have a, we moved just ahead of the pandemic. So now I have a house where I can set up my drums, uh, which I haven't, I haven't had in oh, a while. Great. So I just go down and play every once in a while. And, but I'm going to okay. try these. You said there's a French grip and a German grip. Were these grips invented in World War II? Why are they named after the French and Germans? What are, what are the, what's the German grip? You didn't tell me about that. You know, that's, I think, the grip that we, when most drummers just sort of do, if like you pick up a pair of sticks and you start hitting them. Yeah. It's usually you're sort of going with the German grip. Hmm. And it's, if you're holding the stick, the back of your hand is sort of like facing the ceiling. Then that way you can get the most sort of up down motion with your yep. wrist yep. rather than if you hold it like and you turn your thumb to the ceiling and then you try to bend your wrist you only get like a little bit of bend because the 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 wrist bend side to side only goes so far mm-hmm. up and down with your hand at the ceiling is a much larger radius for turning so when you turn your hand to the side I try to just keep my thumb sort of stationary in one place and then it's really like dribbling. You just sort of like hold the stick and dribble with your last three fingers. I am terrible at it even though I've been working. I mean, I don't know, like half an hour, hour a day into it or something and only for the last few weeks and I'm still terrible <laughs> at it. Oh, th- this is, you're referring to the French grip or is that what you mean? Yes, yeah. the French grip, yeah. Well, the fact that you you are, if I may, one of the greatest drummers I've ever seen, uh, one of the greatest drummers I've ever heard. And so, for you to be terrible, I'm sure you're just, just doing fine and you just need to practice more, which you have the time to do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, which leads me into a, a quick, uh, maybe not quick, but a, a segue into your musical origin story, I suppose. Because uh, I just mentioned that I just started playing uh, without any lessons, per se. Just gave, mm-hmm. gave it a shot. And as you go, as you play, you learn. But what is your yeah. sort of musical education background? Do, do you remember when you first got into playing or thinking that you could play music and and then did you go through any kind of uh you know formal training yeah for sure i grew up in the east coast northeast until i was around age 10 and then my family moved to north carolina Hmm. and before we moved i guess i hadn't thought much about playing music but there was always music around the house my folks had a, a huge record collection and there was like a room that had lots of musical instruments like a melodica and, a, and like some recorders and some hand drums and shakers and stuff and a guitar. And sometimes we would go and play around with music in the room a little bit. But when we moved to North Carolina, there was like a community of people who would get together every Sunday and have a big potluck dinner and a volleyball game. Volleyball <laughs> was huge with these people. I don't know. Like there, there was, a, it was weird. There, like at everyone's houses, and it, the potluck would go from house to house every weekend. Everybody had posts, but there would be like one net and a couple balls, and huh. the people would just pass the net around. And I don't know. It was it was cool. It was super fun. And then there was always a jam session. And usually it was like people with acoustic guitars and banjos and stuff. 
playing whatever kind of music. Sometimes it would be like old timey music, some bluegrass, some just like hippie space jams. There are a lot. Of, there are some deadheads that would, you know, have, the potluck would go to houses. But my friend Dave Schaefer, when it would go to his space, Dave was like, you know, my folks' age or whatever. But he had a great record collection, and he had a Fender Rhodes piano and a really beautiful old set of Rogers drums and so the jam session would sort of become that oh. kind of jam session and way more like sort of like space rocky or <laughs> something and I was like damn the drums are cool so then I just started telling people that I played the drums until I you know I did the whole like have a I got a pair of sticks I would stack books on my desk in various configurations and pretend that I was like had like a ginormous Neil Peart drum set or whatever. <laughs> and finally for Christmas one year, my folks actually like they bought from Dave Schaefer. Dave acquired a drum kit and then got in touch with my folks. And then they bought this drum kit from him uh, for me for Christmas. Um, I was like 12 about to turn 13 oh. and it was, it was like a one kick drum, a snare drum, one cymbal and a rack tom. And I think that was about no, it. No, no floor tom. and No floor yeah. tom, no hi-hat. Oh, no hi-hat. Oh, um, interesting. No. But then for my 13th birthday, I got a floor tom and a hi-hat. <laughs> um, piece piece so by piece. Got it. Yeah. It was, it was really like that. And my folks were adamant about me taking lessons. They were like, if you're going to play, you should probably take lessons. So there was like a, a local music store and I would go and like learn Steve Miller band songs or something once a week or yeah. whatever. Sure. <laughs> Do you have to learn the, the opening fill to take the money and run, that kind of thing? Yeah. 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 That's not a bad fill. That's a good that's a good opening uh you know, that's a good that's a good intro, isn't it? Hell yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then um so I played for a while. I went to high school, auditioned, got a snare drumming position in the marching band and then was in the orchestra and stuff like that and band uh, all through school and then I guess around age 15 or 16 some friends of my folks who were all in their 30s or something had a band like a cover band mostly covers band that was a pretty regularly working band at some different bars and hotels and weddings and stuff like that around Asheville, North Carolina, mm -hmm. uh, lost their drummer and asked if I wanted the drum pos chair position. So, so then I had a regular working gig in, in a covers band, um, all through high school. And there's, there's a lot of merits to being in a covers band. Aren't, would you say that? Cause I grew up playing in all original bands, but as you get older, People start to be like, can you get a band together for this uh, thesis defense party I'm throwing? <laughs> and you're like, well, what? Okay. Your thesis defense party on hip hop. Sure. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll come up with a band. So we, we, yeah. I had to form a band when I lived in Guelph. Oh, by the way, we, we've met in Guelph, but I, I now live in Edmonton. I like to mention that. I live somewhere else and you oh. live somewhere else. So we, yeah. we moved around. Yeah. We both headed west. But anyway, when I was in Guelph, I had this long running, kind of covers band and I initially was like uh this is the lowest of the low because it developed a 
it became this animal, this beast where everyone wanted to see that more than our original bands. Mm. You know, and I and the people would go nuts because you're playing weddings, as I say, thesis defense parties, weird things. Yeah. But you're playing you're playing covers, and as a musician, I was initially like, this is not what I was meant to do. But then I realized I would never think to play these ways. When you have to right. do like everyone's, you're playing like a variety, but you're playing like a compilation. You've got to play in all these different styles. And I actually found it educational. And now I kind of miss it. Like I hear a song. And I'm like, oh, that would have been fun if our band could do that song. And so all I'm getting at is as a musician, did you find that the covers, uh, band, the cover band rather helped you, like taught you about music in some way? Absolutely. For yeah. sure. You know, I think hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And at the time, I think there were things about it I really loved. And then I think, you know, me and the other folks in the band just kind of grew apart. I was 15 years younger than them and mm. just an and just an adolescent dumbass. <laughs> so and I and, you know, I, I just I discovered Black Flag and the Circle Jerks. And then I was like, well, fuck it. It's all bets are off now. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's what happens. You discover punk. And authentic music, and then you think, oh, these the bands I'm covering, they seem cheesy and contrived. And but, so I mean, but for you know, but for sure now, I I look back and I think, what a great experience. Um, yeah, yeah. And and we, you know, we did like there we did some Les Paul and Mary Ford tunes. We did like some '60s R&B. You know, I don't know. It was it was really educational for sure. Yeah. That's what I, I, I didn't count on that. And to your point, you take that for granted in your youth, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you get older, you're like, no, that was actually, <laughs> that was actually helpful. And yes, there, there may be some merit to the fact that that song was a big hit. Like maybe there's something to be learned, even if you hate the band or, you know, whatever. You're just like, there might be something, there's some merit to learning how to play drums like that. Or, sure. or figuring out that pattern and and because they're just patterns you wouldn't maybe yourself think to play so yeah yeah i mean I, I took a lot of lessons growing up but one of the things that i did and and still do is just you know put on headphones and play along to records so hmm. i i really love picking apart other drummers parts and trying to figure out why they did what they did yeah yeah Okay, so this is, you're 15, you say you're a, something of a juvenile delinquent. You didn't say that, but you're, you've you got a little attitude. Guys, I'm something of a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you part ways with the cover band, and then where do you end up? Where, where do you end up playing? Well, my dad moved from North Carolina to Los Angeles, and I was getting into the habit of drinking too much and driving around in pickup trucks oh, um, oh, I see. with folks, with friends um, who were also barely legally able to drive and also drunk. And I saw a dead end in that behavior. So I asked my dad if I could move to Los Angeles and spend my senior year of high school out here. So I did. I moved out here and went to high school, 83, 84, and then I really got to see all of the bands that I had heard on records, or not all of them, but uh, you know, a lot of bands that 
I had only heard and about or seen in Thrasher magazine or something mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. cassette tapes passed around or whatever. So I was also in the marching band here in LA, not really playing with a band out here for my last year of high school, but going to a lot of punk shows and got to see like X and Circle Jerks and I don't know Battalion of Saints and you know seven seconds i don't oh, know wow. just like yeah. what all, all the bands that were huge at the time in the little punk rock scene circle or whatever huge meant they seemed like huge to me but so i just went and saw a ton of bands and my my father and i didn't get along very well the year that i was out here so i graduated high school and moved back to carolina got an apartment for the summer got back with the band actually the the band the covers oh. band and played with the band for the summer and then i met a person who was working at a restaurant as a waiter who was living in chicago and going to school at the school of the art institute and was home for a summer break and when they went back to chicago for school uh we stayed in touch and then Later that year, one of their roommates was moving out, and they asked if I wanted to come uh, move and take the spot. So I moved to Chicago in January of 1985, and then I was there for 28 years. Hmm. Um, That's remarkable. Until I moved out here. <laughs> yeah. And so when you got to Chicago, I, I think of Chicago as having, and I'm sure everyone's experience is different, but I think of it as having a pretty... Uh, immersive music community. I mean, you were talking about LA and earlier and and how it's kind of hard to play and meet people maybe even just because of the way it's set up. Mm -hmm. But Chicago from the outside seems like a real community in terms of its arts and culture and music scenes. But at the same time, I imagine there's some insularity too. I, I guess I'm trying to put my finger on it. What was your experience like getting to Chicago? Did you feel like you had an entry point into what was going on, so to speak? Yeah, I I moved into an apartment where a few of the people were going to school and some other people were involved in like the theater community and they all had a band together and they they needed a drummer. Hmm. So I kind of fell into this band that was this sort of punkish, sort of like Tom Waits-ish musical cabaret kind of thing. Okay. Um, and played in, in that band for a few years and just sort of like being out and, and playing maybe uh, not in the same sort of venues as like the punk. You know, I, I had like a, a relationship with punk rock. Like my, my whole thing was like, ah, I love I love the music and I love like the fast, hardcore music, but I don't want to just fall into being that kind of drummer it can feel kind of one-dimensional um, yeah so I, I wanted my playing to be broader and more versatile or something so being in this band was great because it was weird and didn't necessarily like do the oompa 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 thing <laughs> which i which i love and people who can do it like like blow my mind i have trouble i have trouble i've always had trouble with that uh, the kind of what did bob bob mold called it like sped up polka <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it is for sure like yeah. that and i love it and i love aspects about it but like it didn't connect to me like deeply 
so I sort of like tried to put myself into musical situations where there was a little bit more uh, diverse city and like the song structures or whatever. Yeah, more range, more range, I guess, or dynamics, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, you know, there's kind of like Midwest punk rock sound that like the replacements or like early soul asylum kind of had i was into that yeah it's the sort of more like fast rock kind of thing i guess so i joined this band that played music i guess sort of along those lines and was in that band for a few years put out a few records that band was called precious wax drippings and we put out a couple singles and a couple records and that band ended up playing a bunch of shows with the band that Doug McCombs was playing bass in or still is uh, um, called 11th Dream Day. Yeah, they have a new record um, coming out actually. Yeah. yeah. So Doug and I and other members of Precious Wax like hit it off super well and just started hanging out a bunch. He was working the door at this bar in Wicker Park in Chicago called the Rainbow Club, Mm -hmm. which I ended up working at for like 25 years um, as well. And we just palled around a bunch and talked about music and it kind of just grew into naturally worked its way into us being in the room with our instruments playing together. Um, Hmm. And that was kind of the beginnings of Tortoise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fascinating. I appreciate all that background. I mean, we've talked before, and I don't remember hearing this, so that's my fault for not asking. It's not your fault, John. You you just have to answer what I what I ask, really, right? <laughs> it's up to me. I just do I do whatever you tell me. <laughs> no, uh, no, that is fascinating. So, the last time I was seriously delving into tortoise in this capacity was I did a little documentary on the making of The Catastrophist with Doug McCombs and John McIntyre, among other people, chiming in and talking about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you are, a few of you are are away from Chicago. I assume, is Dan, are Dan and Doug still in Chicago? Yes. Yeah. So how, if at all, has the band been functioning, um, given that you're all spread out? Because there are moments on, the, on a Grape Dope where I'm like, this could just as easily... If this were on a tortoise record, I wouldn't bat an eye. Like, this is so great and moving in that regard that I was like, this, I, I don't know where you're, because a grape dope is a relatively, you've been working under this moniker for some time, but this is also still a relatively new expression for you, right? You know, I I had high hopes for a grape dope back in the, the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what day? What what era are you referring to there when you say that? I don't know when those first Grape Dope records even came out. Late, like ni- ni- nineteen late, years ago, or late late nineties, late nineties, right? Early two thousands, okay, something. And you know, put a few records out, and Tortoise was getting busy. I don't. It was it was easy to get distracted, and then I met a a woman and we fell in love and had kids and a grape dope just sort of went to the back burner. And I, I had always thought that I would pick it back up, but then man, like 15 years go by so quick, but I had a friend, my friend Aaron Espinoza, who 
runs a really great recording studio here in Los Angeles called The Ship. And it's in the complex of where the king size recording studios are, the Dave Trumpio Studios in Eagle Rock. Was working for the the label Danger Bird and curating the Arthur King Presents series and knew my past ancient grape dope work and asked if I wanted to make a record for the 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 series the cur- curated series and I still had like a hodgepodge little recording setup I've always kept it going I'm just sort of dabbled uh, not thinking more just thinking like I gotta write music for tortoise and and keep it going and just it's fun to just sort of like poke around and see what kind of mess you can come up with Mm -hmm. And, and I was like well hell yeah that sounds amazing it was it really helped me to have a a deadline and a focus and like a sort of like you know a destination to where things are would land. So I just kind of put my focus and energy into having it be finished to whatever degree that means. So is it normal for members of Tortoise to come up with ideas on your own and bring them to the band these days? Or Because I can't really recall if... It, it seemed like it uh, maybe when you were all together in the same city and making records that I got, I got the impression you got together and formulated things together, but you're kind of describing the idea of like, I'm going to write stuff and this will probably be for tortoise. Is that how that band operates these days uh, in in a lot of the way? Or do you try jamming as much as you can? No, we, we haven't written music jamming together in many, 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 many years. Hmm. It's always somebody writes something at home and then brings it. But having said that, sometimes, you know, things will be more fleshed out and people will write parts specifically for something. You know, at least from the the stuff that I bring is never like finished. Sometimes it'll just be like a drum break and some chord changes or a bass line or like only a melody or like whatever. And then people will write parts around it. Um, I see. Okay. Um, or like we'll only take part of like one idea and part of another idea and like, and then be like, maybe these would could work together and just sort of figure out a Frankenstein way to smash them together somehow. Okay. So um, it's not, if I, if I hear a song of yours, like a glorious day or rats, it's up. And I think, Oh, I could see this being a, a tortoise thing even. You know, this makes sense. John is in tortoise. So I guess what I'm saying is it could have been. <laughs> like it, for sure. It could, this very well, the feel of it makes sense for that band. And okay, but you, is there any reason then why you didn't hold on to it for that band exactly? Like you say you've been compiling these kind of hodgepodge of ideas, but was there any thought to like, no, this, that definitely I should keep that for that band, uh, for tortoise. Um, did you have those thoughts, or is there a reason why you didn't do that? I suppose. Uh, no, no real reason. I thought, well, here's the job, and it is to make songs for a grape dope, and just use what you have and write stuff for tortoise another time. Another time, <laughs> sure. Just use it up. You've got it. Get rid of it, use, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like that. So. 
you mentioned that this is part of the the series, Arthur King Presents series. What is the nature of that series exactly in terms of what Danger Bird are up to? I think Arthur King, I, I'm not super clear about this, but I think that Arthur King was a band with a few members, Aaron Espinoza and then a couple other guys, and they would play a soundtrack to a movie, but wouldn't know what movie they were doing the soundtrack to until they got to the venue or something. And then doing installations and play and I think they had ideas of like doing like gallery shows. I think there actually is a a, a show now in Los Angeles with some of the Arthur King music and them on the Isle of Egg which is off the coast of Scotland. Um, And they went to this place and sampled sounds around the island and then made all the music with those samples only. Hmm. And then they did a bunch of video recording while they were there. And so there's a space now that's sort of all immersive audio and visual gallery show um, going on. No, so, I, I, uh, I tried to look it up, and then all I got was stuff about King Arthur. I couldn't figure out what this was, so I actually appreciate uh, this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so they thought that maybe it would be cool to have Arthur King Presents, so the, the band Arthur King curating a series of records on the Danger Bird label. Okay. Um, and one, 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 one of the members of... Arthur King owns the record label as well. I so. see. Okay. So it's a little little cross promo for them. They didn't <laughs> they they weren't involved in the production of the music in any way. No, but I mixed the record with Aaron at his studio the ship. Oh, okay. They, oh right, you mentioned that. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So they there is a connection there. Okay. Now one of the other sort of revelatory aspects of this record is your voice, your singing. Uh, and vocalizing, I would say, as well. What prompted that? Has this ever occurred before on a record? Like, I'm trying to think. I can't think of instances. Maybe, I mean, there's obviously there's often discombobulated voices on Tortoise Records, for example, and, and I think in some of the other groups you've been in, but have you often sang in public? No, no, hmm. I've not often <laughs> sang. Is that self-consciousness? Do you not have things to say? Like, I will say when you do vocalize here, it's compelling. I mean, I get that you don't have to, which is very uh, primal almost, uh, that sort of that song and the way you present uh, the words in it is almost primal and it gets in my brain where I'm just like, it's in my head. Which which one? Uh, You don't have to. You don't want to. You don't have to. You don't want to. You don't have to. It just, it's like an order. I feel like I'm being ordered around by something. Okay, fine. I don't want to, and that means I don't have to. Thank you very much. I, I thank the song sometimes when it's in my head. No, but I, I'm being a little silly, but can you talk a little bit about your choice here? Why why present your voice uh, on record? Well, a couple things about that song and the record as a whole. I had, I think, maybe seen the movie Until the Light Takes Us, Until the Light Takes You, Takes Us, takes we takes them i don't know <laughs> but anyway a, like a, a a documentary about the history of black metal in norway um specifically sort of around the time when mayhem and all of that craziness was going on with people 
blowing their brains out and eating their brains and stuff. Yeah. And burning churches. But there was a, an interview with one of the guys from the band Dark Throne, drummer dude whose name I'm, I can't think of right now. Um, and he was talking about how they wanted to make the most monotonous music possible. And I had never really even thought of that listening to the music. And then after he said that, I couldn't not think about that when like listening to Dark Throne or Mayhem or something. And I was super into it. I was like, man, I'm going to just make the most monotonous and monotonous record I can. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I don't know, like some, some of, sometimes I felt like I was achieving that other times, like stuff moved too quickly or whatever. But there were tunes on the record where I was like, man, this should be like a minute shorter. And then I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Going black, all the way black. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I feel like the t- there's a I guess, there's a monotony, I suppose, in that, but not in a negative way. Like there's a consistency. I like that mm. the thing starts and it, it there are the subtle dynamics at play, but you have mm. to fall into the groove of it. And it's very sort of groove oriented, if you will. So I appreciate that. It becomes hypnotic and it's reliable. That's what I'll say. The song starts, it keeps going, and you're like, okay, I know where this is going. Like, I feel like I'm I'm not going to be surprised by something in the end. Like, little little subtle things are going on, but I, I appreciate that. It's good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, I was also listening to a lot of this African house duo called The Destruction Boys. Oh, and really loving the way that they paced their music. It's very reliable. And real, like the subtle sort of like ups and downs are subtle and nuanced, but just so smoking. I don't know. So I really love that. There's like a lot of, a lot of like electronic tom fills in the record and a lot of, and a lot of like traffic whistle on the Destruction Boys record. So I kind of like nicked that stuff a little bit and, I was like, oh, I'm going to reference this, but also like try to reference Dark Throne and also like thinking a lot about like Donna Summers, you know, I need love. Yeah. And just like, you know, having a baseline that's just one baseline that goes through the whole thing. For a long time, even. For a long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just the idea of like, well, how do you how do you make a house record? And I'm still trying to figure out like how how do you make because I listen to house records and a lot of the stuff that I love does it does nothing. There's like no real movement in the music. It starts a thing and then that's yeah. it, and then it builds, it goes up and down, but it doesn't like change keys or or you know, there's not a lot of. I mean, there's there's house music that has a lot of that stuff, but the stuff that I'm drawn to is more monotonous. Um, mm. So I want to make a techno record at at some point, but I'm I'm just not good at it yet. I need to fig- figure out how to just be m- more and more care less about like what's happening harmonically or something, and just because I really love the idea of just like organizing noise into a sort of rhythmic thing and just dealing with that. Well, you do you do it well, if I might say. And, and also, I mean, what a time to release uh, music that might be thought of as monotonous when we're all, we're yeah, doing, right. <laughs> we're living these monotonous lives every day. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. part of it too. Yeah, like, yeah. 
I will say, like, I take some comfort in it. It's very frenetic and energetic and exciting, but it also feels a bit comforting that it's not shifting around all the time because most of my days, everything, the news, information, my children, everything's just shifting around constantly. So well done on the monotony, if I might say. We need it. We need a little monotony. So (laughs) it's good. Now You you mentioned that... uh, this record, uh, which is about a year old now, I guess, technically, right? It came out a while ago. It was mm-hmm. made pre-pandemic. We talked a little bit about Tortoise. I guess I'm just sort of wondering what's next. Do you have more uh, music by a Grape Dope coming? Uh, I know you've been working on your animation. And then within yes. that, is there Tortoise activity of any kind? Yes, all all that stuff is happening. We have been just like the, the beginning phases of compiling ideas for new tortoise material Mm -hmm. there's been some talk of maybe meeting up in portland sometime this summer for a couple weeks to get some basic tracks together oh Um, nice so you know at this point we just have like a dropbox with some musical ideas in there um and people are because i have a couple hard drives full of just little musical notes and ideas and stuff. Um, so I've just been going through and making notes, um, like what seems like it's workable or anything. Does anything feel like it has a future or <laughs> anything? A, a tortoise future or a grape dope future? I've been talking to my friend Rob Lowe, who is a, a great musician and does a lot of modular synth work and curly and aras on Instagram, but he has a, la- he has a, a label um, called Avent tours. So we're talking about the possibility of putting out a cassette with maybe a little like 20 page zine to accompany it. Oh, cool. So I've been trying to compile some music for, for both, both those things. I've done a couple of remixes for some friends here and there, and I don't know, just practicing and trying to keep just keep pushing along. I, I don't know. No, you're doing well. And then the animation stuff is that still happening? Or I, oh man, I want to be doing it, but it's everything takes so much time. Yeah, and I and I have two kids, so I really kind of have to prioritize. It it takes so much time. It's it's not even funny how, how much time it takes. Yeah. So at this at this point, no. But anything could happen. An- right? <laughs> anything can happen. Anything can happen. Uh, and I agree. And it sounds like in your country in particular, there's more hope about normalcy or the old way of living. Anyway, I don't know how normal it was, but that that might be that might be coming back. I I see it. I see it coming. And the more I see it coming, the more I'm just like, shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down, people. <laughs> you, you don't think it's time yet to be normal? I don't even know what normal is anymore. Yeah. I, everything, I, I don't even know how to behave like in, in public. I go on a walk sometimes with my friend and we're both fully vaxxed. And, you know, the waiting time for the vaccination is, is over for both of us. Yeah. And I'm like, he... He wanted to give me a hug, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know that we should be, uh, even if, I don't know. I feel like the vaccination is just one thing, and 
you've got to maintain the other yeah. stuff that we've been doing, unfortunately. So I'm kind of with you. It's a bit depressing, but I'm I'm with you that it's you don't really know what to do. I feel like we're we're all guinea pigs. Like I've only had one dose thus far, mm-hmm. and I got I got yeah. the AstraZeneca. And now in Canada, they're like, we may not have enough AstraZeneca for the second dose, so we might have to give Uh-oh. you Pfizer or Moderna. And I'm like, what? That's the opposite of what they said. They said you had to get the Uh-oh. same thing. And they're just like, yeah. we'll just try it. I'm like, we're just these guinea pigs Uh-oh. constantly yeah. now. Like, we, we don't, we're just trying things. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I got the J&J and then like, you know, a week later, I saw the news about that they were pausing the yeah, because, contamination, uh, the risk of blood yes. clots, blood clots. Yeah. Well, that's the same with the AstraZeneca, but they've dialed that back a little bit on the blood clots because it's such a low possibility. But the J&J and the AstraZeneca were also subject to recalls and pauses because of a contamination in the plant. They Those two were both made in the same. You and I are the same. We have the same probably fucking shitty vaccines in us and mm-hmm. <laughs> when we just have to deal with it i hope they work i, yeah. I i'm urging yeah. people to get them but it's also just because that's what we've been told to do but it's really confusing so i'm with you on that front yeah. it's uh trying to be optimistic but it's uh it's a wait and see we see how we all feel in six months maybe and uh yeah yeah so and i i wouldn't be surprised if like the theory that the earth as a living organism is sending this to cleanse the disease. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, a lot, lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of humans causing a lot of destruction to the living organism that we inhabit. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just trying to brush these <laughs> motherfuckers off. It's, it's very sad, um, but yeah. But I, I heard a, a joke when I was on tour from this girl and, Germany and she she said um deep deep out in a deep space one planet meets another planet and and the other planet says hey how's it going and the other planet says ah not so good i have humans and the other planet says ah don't worry they go away <laughs> right okay well i'm glad we're <laughs> wrapping this up on such a cheery note an existential joyful uh no 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 i yeah it's uh and if you know and if 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 me going needs to be part of the healing process then fine i'm i'm cool with that just yeah we've we've all had to confront that sort of existential reality right like yeah any of us could go and uh yeah and it's yeah anyway Again, don't want to end uh, on a totally down note. I do want to ask you uh, if people want to learn more about you mm-hmm. and a, a Grape Dope and and Arthur King presents a Grape Dope Backyard Bangers, which is the official title. Uh, where would you like to send them using uh, computers and phones? <laughs> well, I have a a pretty regular Instagram thing, and I'm always putting little snippets of music and. Visual stuff there, and it's just a grape dope on Instagram. But you could also go to a grape dope dot com, and that's got links to mu- all the music and the videos, and a bunch of photos of artwork and stuff like that. Or the Danger Bird website, or actually, I think the Danger Bird website is where you would find the Arthur King presents 
record, but they have since started an imprint, AKP Records. And so you could go to akp.com, and that is where, or or I'm not sure if it's akp.com, but you have to, Arthur, Arthur King Presents Records, search it and you'll find it. Is and it, who, and, who is ArthurKing.com? No, that's the band probably, right? It, it might be. I, I'm not sure. I think that is the band, yeah. Okay, um, sorry. I'm just on the Danger Bird. I'm at, just so people know, I'm at DangerBirdRecords.com right now, and I'm yeah. just looking through. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, AKP Recordings. I see it here. Yes, you're correct. AKPRecordings.com. That is correct. And and the remix record that has the remixes by Leticia and Jeff Parker and Roberto Lang and Kieran Hebden Fortet was the first record uh, on the AKP recordings. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, and that came out a couple months, a few months after uh, the album came out, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, man, I don't know. It's so good. When I got Leticia's, uh, Leticia Sadier's remix, I, I put it on. And about halfway through, I totally just started crying. Oh, oh man. <laughs> well, she sings on it, right? She does. And I was like, oh, my God, man, I love my friends so much. It just made me, it, it made me, it made me feel loved, you know? I was like, yeah. oh, my God, someone put this much time and effort into making something so incredible. Like, I, I feel a lot of love right now. Well, you should. You are loved, uh, if I might say. And uh, <laughs> yeah, no, for what it's worth, for me here in Canada, you know, a guy you talk to every 10, 20 years, whatever it's been, <laughs> it means a lot uh, that uh, to hear you doing things. I want to uh, ask if you will select a song, uh, I think maybe from the primary record, maybe, um, for us to go out on. It, actually, it doesn't really matter, whatever you want to do. Um, I just thought we could play something for people. And if you can pick something... Uh, if you remember the names of the songs, <laughs> uh, if you can pick something and maybe even suggest why, that would be great. Can you do that, John? Sure. Maybe play Rats It's Up because I like that song a lot. And I wrote it like the chorus was my clandestine reference to Trump and his cronies in office. Hmm. It was like, it's like, because they're fucking rats and they need to go in a car and drive away and then there's a, like a little reference in there about my wife doing a bunch of workout activities that she was happy about <laughs> achieving um, okay <laughs> um and it's i don't know it's got a good beat to it oh too. no it's great no I'm, I'm glad you chose this one okay let's let's play it now this is again the album is called arthur king presents a grape dope Backyard Bangers. It is by a grape dope. This is Rats It Up. Rats It's Up. It's a bit of a lisping challenge, but it's Rats It's Up. And uh, it's wonderful. John, thank you so much for this time and for being you and all those sorts of things. I, I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you, Vish. Thanks for talking.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Very special thanks again to John Herndon for appearing on uh, this, the 623rd episode of Creative Control. I think that's right. I've lost track in the midst of this episode, but I think it was the 623rd episode of Creative Control, the podcast. It's part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, uh, and if you want to email me as well, that's another thing you could do there. Uh, on my website, what is... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm all jumbled up here. What I'm trying to say is, for all the stuff I just said, go to vishkana.com, including if you want to email me, then that's a way to do that. You can like Creative Control on Facebook if you like to. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter or on Instagram, at vishkana. Visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. And $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. I just sent one of these out and it was great. It felt good to get rid of it. I have so many of these shirts in multiple sizes still that... And you're my, you know, you lovely Patreon people. The least I can do is send you one of these shirts. Come on, message me. Creative Control. I mean, sorry, patreon.com slash creative control. 
Uh, thanks again to whom I want to thank here. Oh, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie, who's a massive tortoise fan. He lets me use instrumental music of his own uh, on the show, and you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with John Herndon of A Grape Dope and Tortoise. I had a great time talking to John, and I hope we speak again sometime. So thanks for listening to this episode. If you like, you can subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about the podcast, tell them about this episode, other episodes. Whatever you can do to spread the word about the show is helpful to me and to you because it means I keep making more. Anyway, thank you very much. I will talk to you very soon. Goodbye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.